which is better? A lesson on global citizenship or global citizenship in a lesson? The one I prefer is global citizenship in a lesson because then you get a saturation of small touching points, but actually seeing global citizenship and sustainability in context, in action, in a number of different ways. And that is powerful. Welcome back, everybody. Richard Baker, founder of Collector Responsibility, here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador Podcast. Through this series, I speak with sustainable ambassadors about the work that they're doing, the work they're involved with, on solving the big challenges that we face. This episode, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Darcy Lund, who is the Global Head of Sustainability and Global Citizenship at Education in Motion, or EIM. For the past 23 years, this man has been on a nomadic mission. He's experienced more than 90 countries, given more than 1,800 presentations to about 150,000 plus people in the areas of development, environment, social justice, and global education. Darcy, as a starting point, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and a little bit of the work that you've been involved with. Sure. So, so my role at EIM is is twofold. So one is working with students uh, and schools and working out how they can embed and infuse sustainability and global citizenship into their daily lives. So, so I work closely with schools and teachers and heads of school. And then on the other side, working with the organisation. So carbon mapping, uh, ESG reporting, these sorts of things as well. So, so trying to put my feet onto both sides of the ground and, and actually making sure that they cross over a lot as well. Where is sustainability at EIM? Is this been a topic that's new because you're going to IPO? Is it something that's been embedded in the DNA? Like, How do they get involved in, and what's the work or what are the issues that EIM is engaged with? So, so I'd say that it's becoming a, a bigger part of the organization uh, over years and now absolutely front and center. So the, the vision and mission is around education for a sustainable future. And they're not playing around. They're actually trying to genuinely make sure that that, is, that they can be a contribution now and into the future in terms of education to make an impact on sustainability and global citizenship. So education for sustainability, nuts and bolts, how, how does that play out? I'd, I'd bring it really back to two core tenants. One of those is feeling like our actions matter. And the second core tenant, I would say, that is that good actions have good impacts. So under those two core tenants, then, then you can unfold lots and lots of different things. It's going to be quite different in terms of uh, each and individual school because they have their own personalities. And then within the uh, organization, parents and students, are they demanding this? Are they pushing back? Where's the community at? And how do you involve them? How do you nudge them? How do they nudge you along this process? Great timing for that question, because we just had our, uh, our group survey go across you know, 10,000 respondents. The numbers are increasing year on year in terms of how important sustainability and global citizenship is. Students are definitely highlighting that this is something that they want to make sure is a part of their education. Are there issues that they're clamoring around? Like, is it polar bears and climate change? Is it poverty? Like, do you see some trends that are happening? Uh, I would say the biggest trend I've seen is from students and okay. their demand around equality, mm -hmm. diversity, inclusion. Our students are so passionate in this area that yeah. I, I feel a bit overwhelmed by the, the demand for it, which is great. And I feel a bit underwhelmed yeah. by my own experience because I didn't grow up with a strong diversity, equity, inclusion background. Um, I'm yeah. fascinated and learning quickly, but that is definitely the biggest demand we're getting from our students. But at the same time, it's also one of the most controversial spaces right now in academics. So is that a conversation that you're having? And is it a conversation you have with the administration or with the parents or both? I think it's just a, an evolving conversation that has to find its, its own pathways and be brought back and managed and unmanaged. Mm -hmm. 
I think in that space, the main thing for me is to come back to what does it mean to be a good person? How do we treat people well? How do I try and show up as best as possible as I can on a daily basis, knowing that I can't be perfect? The world yeah. isn't perfect. Because I'm thinking like maybe that's the core seed that everything is built off of. And then the issues become kind of whatever. Like you, you can find your own path on the issues, but starting with citizenship and being a good person is like the seed. The question often gets used is what is a global citizen in this space around education? I think it's a bit of a wasted question because you're trying to find a definition. And so I prefer to ask the question, are you a global citizen? Yeah. And when you have to answer that question of are you a global citizen, you then actually have to make it personal and practical and, and actually work out what does that mean to me? And so that's a much more probing question that, uh, that then starts to dig into how do I make good choices? Uh, do those choices have impacts? What impacts do those uh, do they have in greater society? And this, then, then you can open the can of worms of whatever topic issue it is, but bring it right. back to trying to be that good person as much as possible. And how do you attack it at the school level? Like, is it lessons? Is it clubs? Is it activities? What, what are the tools that you use to to, to execute so another provocation i like to use is which is better a lesson on global citizenship or global citizenship in a lesson yeah. the one i prefer in sort of over 11 years of global citizenship education is global citizenship in a lesson so mm -hmm. i think it's a lot stronger when it comes out in in a maths class or a pe class or your drama recital your, your music concert etc because then you get a saturation of small touching points but actually seeing global citizenship and sustainability in context, in action, in a number of different ways. And that is powerful. What are some of the barriers that you're finding? I mean, whether it be in the academic context or be with the community and the parents saying, hey, enough's enough. We need to get back to math and, and science and writing and the core, like, you know, like just focus on that. Like, what are some of the, the challenges or the barriers that you've kind of faced over the last couple of years? And how do you, how do you overcome those? How do you engage on those barriers as you're seeing them? There are so many barriers in, inside of people before you can even start to have the conversation. So, yeah. so a concept that I use, well, I created myself, is called teaspoons of change. Yeah. And just understanding that our small actions do fit into the world in some way. And it's not about, hey, turning off the light switch and you're going to save the world. It's about knowing that when I turn off a light, I'm connecting my head, my heart, my hand to actions that have a positive impact. So I think the barrier, first of all, is that people feel a bit overwhelmed or feel like they have to be perfect, that that is too hard. You know, all these different parts, there, there are so many barriers to entry. And so yeah. I try and create that entry point. And then from there, you can evolve the conversation into much more detailed and in-depth uh, ideas and actions around that space. So speaking of that, you released a pretty chunky ESG report. It was your second one. Can you give a little bit of background on the report itself? I mean, this is not something that the school needed to do for any regulatory reason or for any investor. Why did you do it? What are some of the key findings that you found and how did you approach it? So for me, the, the, the ultimate outcome of this is for students to walk away and understand they've been a part of a school and a group that does this thing called ESG. And they may not have had a lot of engagement with it, but it's there. And one day they may hear about, be asked a question about ESG and they can say, oh yeah, 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 we did that in our school when I was in year five. And mm -hmm. then we followed it up when we were in high school. So, yes. so I think ESG has a very powerful opportunity because there's many flaws with ESG, 100%. But I've yeah. got kind of two choices to stand here and throw rocks at how terrible greenwashing is in ESG or 
for our students to to be right. familiar with this vocabulary and this lexicon and turn it into something far beyond what it's looking yeah. like in, in this particular moment. How will you use the report itself now that it's out? How do you use it? What's it what's it useful for? And who are you actively trying to engage? Great question, because a report does nothing. You know, it's it's a report, it sits on a shelf or it sits in a computer. So it has to have a life, has to be brought to life uh, in some way, in a tactile, tangible way. And I think what I use around this report is that it, it hones in on formality. Mm -hmm. So the global citizenship isn't just a nice idea and sustainability. It's actually brought into a formal setting for us to have better conversations around it. And then accountability. So yeah, exactly. Setting targets around our emissions, setting targets around diversity, equity, inclusion, um, as particularly in our learning space, you know, how are we learning and, and promoting the idea of education for a sustainable future? It's there in, in plain daylight. How did you get into the space to begin with? Um, what, what drove you into it? And where did you get your passion for the topic of sustainability, humanity, whatever it may be? I grew up in, in rural South Australia, as you may mm. tell from my beautiful accent. But uh, I, I really just cared about Aussie rules and cricket uh, mm. once upon a time ago. But, uh, but I always had passions. And that, that took me to, to mountaineering and uh, climbing mountains and having all sorts of fun. And I ended up in Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia to, to go and check out some mountains and, and see the culture. And while mm. I was there, I did some volunteering. I really mm. got hit by that juxtaposition. And then it was just a matter of going, well, what, what choices do I make in the future? Uh, how can I try and make a positive impact in the world, which, which I'd never really thought of. And, and so from there, the, the seed was, was planted and, mm. and I, I have a passion for things. And that became my passion was for social justice, for understanding the world more and interacting with people and seeing where it all goes. So how did you come across this role? I mean, you'd been traveling. I mean, it says 19, you know, like for, for many years, all these countries, 90 countries. How did you end up in a corporate sustainability role? It started with one presentation. I remember mm. the first presentation I gave around um, at that time, it was around my travels in South America and what I had learned about different cultures. So it was more of a, a cultural inclusion type presentation. And I just saw the light bulbs go up and, you know, go off for a lot of students and thought, wow, actually, this is something I'm really passionate about. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm making a connection with students, which we try to do as, as educators. Yeah. And, and for that one presentation led on to another one, and then pretty soon 300. And, and so that became my, my way of engaging with the world. And, and then, yes, definitely a few hooks and turns from, uh, from a nomadic lifestyle to, to a corporate one. But I, we've probably got COVID to thank for that, because when I was offered this job, I was like, no, hell no. I don't do jobs. I don't live anywhere. But uh, a second thoughts did bring me back to go. Well, actually, maybe mm. it is. It is time to do some some in depth work rather than the kind of breadth work that I had been doing for a long time. When you came into it, what did you bring in that you think? Wow, these were the perfect tools. And what are some of the things that you've learned through this job about how to do? what you're passionate about, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, I definitely came in all guns blazing, not to disrupt, like I always try and have that humility and, and that sense of humanity to connect with people. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the challenge has definitely been the longer term aspect of, great, we've got people fired up and they, they're understanding this better. They've got their teaspoons of change concept underway but mm -hmm. where do you take this strategically and that goes beyond you know you myself or someone else so that this is something that becomes an integral part of, of people's lives or dna or perspectives but that's that's the fun stuff as well so what do you think from your background really layered in well to this role i, I think what helped me the most is is authenticity 
So I tend to walk places. I always carry my own utensils and all these sorts of things. But it's funny, those little things really resonate with people. So, mm -hmm. so I think that has helped. What hasn't helped is exactly like you were saying before, is previously my interaction with, with corporations has been as the, you know, the, the, the gimmick to, to kind of come out and say, hey, here's a guy who lives an alternative way, tries to live his values here today, gone tomorrow. But actually yeah. trying to do that depth work and and I think I would have come in better uh, having a couple more conversations with people about the long-term game. And what's the role of passion in your job? Like, is this something where you can run around and be that guy? Do you have to mute yourself a little bit to get a little bit further down the road? Or is that actually like a, that's what people love about you and they, they, they just clamor around it? I think passion's critical. As long as it's not the passion of the plastic police. So, so I'm really, really cautious and always have been, but particularly in a corporate environment, the idea of not telling people what to do and what is right and wrong, but again, throwing that passion and some of those ideas and opportunities onto the table and yeah. seeing where people resonate and, and want to pick up on. How do you view this role? What's the importance of it? And what do you hope comes out of this experience? So sometimes mm. I think it's about trying to find really strategic, you know, acupuncture points where to put your needle of influence and yeah. try and really hone in on a couple of the, the key things that are important strategically. And then other times it is maybe trying to be the, the example of ideas and action and how they can work. Or the other thing is to, like I'm privileged because I get to work across all our schools and absorb all the wonderful things and trying yeah. to be that repository of good people doing good things within our organization and beyond. So, so I think all of those, those aspects are important and then bringing them out at the right time with the right people, that's, that's the fun part again of trying to create the alchemy of, of creating positive change. I mean, we have to solve real problems in three years or we go past 1.5. That's not a lot of time. What is the power of schools to drive sustainability? Is it their role? Like, what are your views on that? I, I think education is a critical in terms of sustainability, global citizenship and, and the future. Uh, and, and that's not because we're creating future people. It's because we've got people now. You know, one of my favorite sort of quotes or conversations I heard was from Dr. David Suzuki, the environmentalist from Canada. And, uh, and he was talking about recycling and they, they polled people, you know, where did you hear about recycling? And it was something like 80% of, of parents, they said, well, I learned that from my kids. How will you measure that then? Because, you know, we talked about this the other day. It's like, you know, it takes 8, 10, 12 years for these seeds to take hold. How, mm -hmm. how do you measure success? And how are you hoping to even see that to flourish over time? At the individual level, the way I like to try and not necessarily measure impact, but, but guide it is through personal reflection. So I really like it when staff, students, whomever, uh, take a reflection point of do they feel like their actions matter from a personal perspective? Mm. Do they feel more optimistic or pessimistic about their actions and their impact? How do they feel that the, what's their feeling towards the, the culture around them to try and create change or working towards a sustainable future? trying to quantify it and qualify it. We need standards, we need frameworks. I'm all in for that. But what yeah. I really want to feel and know is where are people's attitudes? You know, tipping points, who knows? But I just keep on making sure you keep things consistent and, and opportunistic for people to grab onto. If you were talking to administrators of a school that were listening to this, 
what are three things they should do or a few things they should do to to start this process for their own institution for their own communities so my starting point is always around things like vocabulary a couple mm -hmm. of key concepts that you, you don't try and flood it with with too many detailed concepts but you know where where do we start in terms of sustainability and global citizenship with with something very simple what does it mean to be a good person that's that's the starting point and then from from bigger decision makers is how do we start to to get that into motion and i think there are then then you then there's a set of tools that people can choose from it might be esg reporting it could be some school right. progress indicators could be carbon mapping it could be a holistic approach or it could be a project-based idea that just brings in the community. And from that, aha, this is where we then start to, to go deeper and further in these ideas and actions. But it's always going to be nuanced in terms of the order of that pattern. But a couple of key steps would definitely be vocabulary, key mm. concepts, and then something that puts those concepts into action. What would you tell someone coming into this space who's looking at sustainability and education? Like, what's the opportunity? What should they know? What tools should they bring? to be more effective in, in your mind? Step one, follow your, you know, find your passions, something you care about. But then step two is find good people doing good things. Mm. And, you know, Rich, you're, I think you're a wonderful networker and, and know how to connect with people. That's such a critical element because if people do have a passion for plumbing and sustainability, I actually know a couple of guys in New Zealand who've been doing it for, for a few years. There's B Corps now that you, right. can, you can flush out, so to speak. Bad pun, sorry. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, there are enough good people doing good things in the world where yeah. you don't have to be, you know, the, the, the world-saving hero to do something completely different. Collaboration and coordination is the name of the game instead of competition.